Yes, 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 and we are live. Welcome to Game Breakers, everyone. Your host, Edwin, once again, back on a new week. Yes, it is Monday. Yes, it is time to get up and grind. Oh, my goodness, guys. I know we can hate Monday sometimes. I know it can have, like, a, a sour taste in our mouths. We don't want to do it. We don't want to get up. I get all of that. But the point is, it's a new beginning. It's a new week. It's a new opportunity to get up and do what you got to do, man. As you can see, I am up trying to do game breakers analyze break down the game and give you guys the best podcast in the world right now that's what i'm doing i'm doing it right now <laughs> so i hope everyone is doing great out there i hope you guys are having a fantastic day so far monday june 6 get into it we have a lot i mean a lot to discuss for this episode but first before we dive into anything anything you know I got to talk about my NHL playoffs. Have you been watching the NHL playoffs? Because let me tell you, man, once again, a great game last night, Sunday, Rangers, Lightning. Lightning get a game back. They are now 2-1 down in the series to have a chance to defeat the Rangers 3-2. Not bad at all. Not bad at all, okay? And by the way, on Saturday's performance, we had the Avalanche defeating the Edmonton Oilers on the road 4-2. Like I said before a couple of weeks ago or a couple of episodes ago, that these guys are fighting for their lives at this point because it's not enough. Playing the best team in hockey is not enough right now. Uh, but Rangers, we're still looking good. We had, had a narrow loss, but we're still looking good. So don't get too uh, carried away just yet. All right. New York stand up still. But now let's get into some basketball talk. Some basketball talk, man, because I am so happy to get started with everything. Just kidding. We're going to football first. You know, we got to start with football before we go into football, uh, basketball. So, before we get into basketball, 24th lawsuit filed against Deshaun Watson? Seriously? Oh, my gosh. What is going on? So, another lawsuit filed against Deshaun Watson, accusing him of sexual assault or misconduct. According to Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, um, he states that, the allegations made in this new case are strikingly similar to the, those made by many of the other victims. Lost in the media frenzy surrounding Deshaun Watson is that these are 24 strong, courageous women who, despite ridicule, late legal shenanigans, and intense media scrutiny, continue to stand firm for what is right. Setting aside the legal wrangling, the complicity of the NFL, or the failures of the criminal justice system, the resounding story that should be told here is that these women are true heroes. I will say again, our entire team is incredibly proud to represent these women, and we look forward to the day when we can lay out their cases in detail in front of our jury. All right. Also, I know this is a family show, <laughs> a family podcast, but it's also a podcast that will always display the truth. And according to this 24th plaintiff that has now erupted, um, it says that uh, the new victim says that she stopped the massage after Watson got an erection, but that he continued to masturbate in front of her and then ejaculated, getting some of her chest, getting some on her chest, sorry, and face. She says she quit massage therapy soon after. Jeez, man, this is some disturbing news. I don't know exactly what is going on, to be honest, but... All I know is, and I'm going to continue on saying this, all I know is, is that this is not a good look on Deshaun Watson. It's not. It's not, man. To have 24 lawsuits, 24 lawsuits filed against you? Seriously? I mean, something has to be up at this point. 
something has to be up. We already know that he's going to get suspended at least for five games, six games coming up this season. So, I mean, I, I saw that coming. I, I I saw that coming. We all saw that coming. Well, for those who did not see that coming, I'm not sure what you've been watching, what you've been hearing. But to have these many lawsuits filed against you, and, you know, for the most part that he didn't play the season before because of the uh, the the agreement between him and his coach that they would just let him have him sit. But now he doesn't tend to play. Now you get suspended. That's how it's going to work, to be honest. But just to have another 24th lawsuit filed against you is not a great look at all. And you guys know me, man. I'm not going to say a thing until we have more evidence. But once again, more evidence erupts of him having these lawsuits filed against him and it's just making him look like more and more guilty it really is at this point so i'm going to sit here and say once again that i'm going to be on the side of truth here if it is indeed fact factual that the woman were uh mistreated and was sexually assaulted with his actions i am 100 on their side 100 on their side and it's tough to not be on their side when we have 24 lawsuits against him. It's really tough to do that. Maybe one or two. I'm not saying I wouldn't believe the woman anyway, but 24 is a large number. <laughs> a large number of women filing against you. So I don't really know how we we find the, the mindset to not believe them at this point. But you just never know. They could all be lying. I'm not saying they are lying once again, but they could be lying and... Deshaun Watson may be in the right. You just never know. But at this point, I'm going to sit here and say, play the safe side, and say that I'm going to be on the side of truth, and I'm going to see who's going to be right and wrong in this situation. And most likely, I'm leading towards the women's side, if I'm being honest, because this is crazy. 24th lawsuit filed against you? I mean, seriously, man. Deshaun Watson, what were you doing? Now, if in fact this is all true, like, what more do you want? Millions? A star QB, a young black QB rising in this whole entire environment in the league, becoming a face of a franchise. What more do you want, man? I mean, make some smart decisions, please. Oh, my goodness. Easier said than done, obviously. But I know for me, and you I mean, I can't really speak because I don't have that kind of money that he does at this point in my life. <laughs> I will at one point in, in, in the future. But at, at this point, I don't have that kind of money. I don't have millions like he does. But. I think it's safe to say that, at least for myself, I would never, ever try to jeopardize my millions and my life and my fame and my fortune in the franchise and trying to uh, shame the franchise that I'm playing for at the moment with any actions off the field. I would try my hardest not to do so. And I'm not saying that these athletes are not trying hard enough. Sometimes they're not, if I'm being honest. If we see the stories that, that arise in the past couple of months or years, we can see that these athletes are just not caring at this point. But the point is that we have to make smarter decisions, man. Make smarter decisions. Smarter decisions. That's all I'm going to say. Be wise and make smarter decisions. But anyways, guys, let's finally move on to some basketball talk because this is some breaking news that happened yesterday. Quinn Snyder has stepped down as the Utah Jazz head coach after eight years. That is very much insane. Very much insane. And you guys know how I felt. I mean, I'm sure I haven't really spoken about it too much on the on Game Breakers pod, but I definitely have spoken about my my um, loyalty to the Jazz <laughs> in the past couple of playoff runs. And I was severely brokenhearted, severely brokenhearted because of their performances, because of them as a team not showing up, and because of the frailties and the inefficiencies, the deficiencies of the team 
that were not able to be overcome in the past uh, playoff performances. But once again, it's crazy. It's indeed disappoint- disappointing. Uh, but Quinn Snyder is not gone. And he, he states that, I strongly feel they need a new voice to continue to evolve. That's it. No philosophical differences, no other reason. After eight years, I just feel it is time to move onward. I needed to take the time to detach after the season and make sure this was the right decision. And I'm sure it probably is at this point because we, we've we all seen that Utah Jazz have pretty much everything, right? They have star power and Donovan Mitchell. They have all-stars around him and or former all-star and Mike Conley have an all-star and Rudy Gobert. They have some nice, okay bench pieces and uh, obviously the sixth man of the year and Jordan Clarkson. Uh, we we had Joe Ingles at one point. We have Bogey Bogdanovich, some good pieces around them, some good offense, right? We have all that. Bench is okay, not the best, but, you know, when you get to the playoffs, you don't really need that kind of depth anyway. And I get it. We all made excuses for them in the past because of the injuries that they have accumulated with the likes of Bogey being injured that one year. Last year it was Joe Ingles. Uh, the previous years it was Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley being hampered with injuries. We get all of that. I get it. But it's safe to say that this has failed. It has failed at a larger scale than what we thought it would fail at. Because now I'm just seeing quietly the Utah Jazz unraveling and becoming a team that needs to be re- rebuilt, that needs to have a new voice like Quinn Snyder said, and needs to also have new pieces around. I'm not sure if that involves trading Donovan Mitchell or not, but at this point, something has to give. Something has to change. You know? And I look at this whole entire Utah team, and I'm saying to myself, I don't think they can compete anymore for a title. Yeah, maybe be a playoff team, good enough to do that, but I don't think they can compete for a title anymore. I don't. And when you look at the the peak of what they've able what they were able to accomplish with Quinn Snyder at the helm, that's that's not good enough. It's not. I mean, three out of the four years, three out three out of the four past years actually lost in the first round. You blew a three-one lead to the Denver Nuggets. Lost this year to Dallas Mavericks, and ultimately you couldn't get past the Clippers team that you were up 2-0 against in the second round. That's insane. Without Kawhi Leonard, and you had to, I mean, you didn't have anyone to defend Paul George anyway, but the point is that you had a 2-0 lead. A 2-0 lead. And they are becoming slowly the new Clippers because they can't get past the second round. And more times than not, they can't get past the first round. That's indeed shameful. It really is. And you look at Donovan Mitchell, and you see a guy who's who's averaging, what, 23, 4, and 41, 44% shooting. At some point in time, like, he's going to need more. He's in his prime already. He's in his prime. And we have all these th- different things going on about now they don't have a head coach. Now they traded away one of their uh, best bench players in Joe Ingles. Now we have uh, – it's actually been, you know, a rumor that has pre- been pretty open in the past about – how Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are not on the same side. And and now we have this also big factor that Mitchell is unsettled, quote-unquote. Because now it's a case of him committing to this whole Utah project and this whole idea of trying to win a championship in Utah because of Chris Snyder. I mean, that was one of the reasons why he signed that contract extension in 2020, right? He signed a big contract, five years maximum, because of one of the reasons being Quinn Snyder as them leading, being led by him 
to try and win a championship. And so far, it has not materialized into anything. And I'm very, very, very disappointed because I thought this team was one of the best and probably at one point one of the more deepest teams in the NBA, especially when they were the best team in the NBA. Uh, was it two years back? Yeah, two years back. But after that, it's been a, a, a shell of the former selves. And that's not good enough. It's not. So, I mean, Snyder is a good coach. He coached his Jazz team to a record of 372 to 264. Last year, they were 49 and 33. That's not bad at all. But the point is, is that they need more. They need more, okay? They need more. And they don't have enough. I mean, I, I don't know why I wasn't able to see this in the past. I thought they probably could get by with their star power because they did have a lot of brilliant performances by Donovan Mitchell to roll them to some of these games. I thought they wouldn't be able to win in the playoffs, but they won those games. And I thought that they had a, a brilliant head coach and Chris Snyder that would be able to at least give them a boost. And so far in the past eight seasons, he's been doing that. But ultimately, he has not given them what they need at this point, which is a championship, contending for a championship, at least making it to the conference finals. You couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. That's insanely not good at all. Insanely not good at all. Okay, because now we see that they have reached their peak. If they couldn't get the championship or a conference finals with Quinn Snyder, I wonder what coach can elevate their game. And I wonder, are, are these same players going to stay on the same team at this point? Like, we have so many trading rumors regarding Donovan Mitchell moving to the Knicks, moving to the Heat, moving to the Hawks, a wild card, Indiana Pacers possibly. Now we have a case of him being in trade rumors I mean, Rudy Gobert was already in trade rumors. So what is it for this team at this point? What is it? Rebuild, blow it all up is what I'm saying. Blow it all up. Because right now it's nothing. It's, unless you find a head coach that can elevate these players and get them to play a, a different kind of philosophy of basketball, because we know that they don't have a single defender except for Rudy Gobert, maybe even Royce O'Neal, but he's not even solid enough for me. They don't have a single defender to stop anybody in the league anybody in the league but we've seen in the past that guys like Ime Udoka and Jason Kidd can elevate the play of a team on defense elevate the team's whole mindset in general to get them to playing where they want to play like in the future that is possible I mean for the first time in a long time I, I mean I have never seen Luka play defense ever in my life never I know that that sounds kind of crazy to say but up until this season, I have never seen him play defense. This year, he's over here contesting. He's getting after it. In the past years, I have never seen Jason Tatum play defense. Okay? He just had the wingspan. He was tall, long, and we could, quote-unquote, say that he could defend the players like uh, KD, some of these taller players that can score like he can, like Brandon Ingram. But he was never a solid defender. But he has even improved upon his game. You know, and I, I, I can't stress this enough that, yes, Marcus Smart has been a key player for them. He has also won the Defensive Player of the Year award for this team. And also we have Robert Williams there too. But when you get production out of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, our, our, our old Al Horford, you know, Derek White off the bench playing defense, that says a lot about this team. So who's to say that they can't do the same thing in Utah? They can. Definitely can but you need a different head coach. And I want what are the steps now for trying to get that head coach and trying to be able to get the most out of these players? Because right now, 
I don't see anything happening. I don't. I, I don't see anything happening at this point. I, I really don't. So we need to see some big changes. And if it does involve trading Donovan Mitchell to going into a new franchise, then so be it. Because this team, it's unfortunate, to be honest, because I see the, the potential that they could have been in the past, and now it's coming all crashing down. Donovan Mitchell, he's going to be on the trade block, possibly. Three years left on this deal, so it's still not terrible. But we're looking towards getting all these rumors regarding the Miami Heat, who I think that they could possibly work if it does happen. Um, I'm not sure how he would fit with Jimmy Butler, but it could possibly work. He would give a star power ability to the New York Knicks, and they are instantly playoff contenders now with him in the fold because he could just elevate a team. I think he can. He gives a, a running mate once again to Trey Young. If he does go to Atlanta, it's possible. Now they have a superstar there, two superstars that can possibly carry them over to a deep playoff run. Or another team that has been in the photo trying to rebuild, like I just mentioned before, the Indiana Pacers, they could possibly say, okay, now we have a chance to compete for the playoffs, and we believe in ourselves to the point that we can make a run. You never know. You just never know. But these are all possibilities. Never know what's going to happen. But I do know that Utah is falling apart falling apart massively massively yeah i wonder where quinn snyder is going to be next time i wonder what he's going to be able to do for a new team if he does decide to coach because i'm not sure what his plans are but what i do know is that he is no longer the coach for the utah jazz <laughs> and i do know that utah jazz not are not looking good at the moment they are not because when you get exposed by the dallas mavericks this year in the first round insanely crazy i mean you can't have that happen you just can't you can't have that happen but it happens and now we have a case of them just looking to see what they can possibly do to either keep this team afloat or just blow it all up and in my opinion i think it's best to blow it all up and just find a new different route because right now i don't see any other avenue of them trying to get a better head coach than quinn snyder at the moment unless he does prove me wrong which is possible or i don't see them accumulating any or gaining any free agent interest to come to utah out of all that at every other place come to utah to try and win a championship <laughs> like that's you know it's not gonna happen i don't think it's gonna happen and you know at this point the lakers job as terrible as the lakers have been this season they are still more of an attractive place to go to than utah is at the moment so it is what it is but guys man let's see what happens let me know what you think about that in the comment section below about the utah jazz what will they be able to do Next time we come around talking about them, okay, will they have a new head coach by that time? Will they be able to have new players? Maybe they trade Donovan Mitchell. Maybe they trade Rudy Gobert. I don't know. But what I do know is that they need a change. And I was not expecting this change, but it's a good change, though. It's a good change because Chris Lander has been a great coach for them, but he's peaked for this team. It's not, it's not enough. It is not enough at all. Okay. All right, guys, moving on. Talk to me about the Celtics and the Warriors. So I did call the Warriors to win game two because usually you expect a response from the home team that just got pummeled in game one. Of course, of course, right? But how did that happen, though? How, how did that happen? Let's break it down. What happened here at Game Breakers? What the hell happened in this game two series uh, with these two teams? So I actually think that the Boston Celtics started off pretty well. From being honest, you know, up 12 to 5 early on, coming with that energy, 
they had a, a nice lead back and forth action the fourth quarter. I mean, in the first quarter. And, you know, once again, we have a case of Steph Curry being loose in the first quarter. Still had no answer whatsoever for him at the moment. And somehow, some way, both teams score 30 plus points. And we have a one point lead for the Warriors. Okay, not too bad. Not too bad. Second quarter, still looking good, still looking good. And I must say, Jason Tatum showed up. He showed up in a big way. I know he lost this game too. Not the biggest uh, L in the world because you did get game one. So you played terrible on that. You still won. So it doesn't matter at this point. And it goes back to what I was saying before that not every game is the same. We go back to the roles. We go back to the stars and what they are supposed to do for their roles for the team. And even if they do produce, you can still lose that game. And this is what happened. Tatum played with great 28 points, six rebounds, three assists. And he was just all over the court playing pretty good, efficient, six three-pointers. That's pretty damn good. But that's what you want from your superstar. Jalen Brown struggled. He played great in the first game. I think he had 10 points in the, in the fourth quarter in the first game. This time, 17 points, 5 of 17. That's terrible. It's not good at all. He kind of slowed down later on in the second half. But uh, we go on to the, the second half and has been a big, big problem for the Celtics. A huge problem for the Celtics. A problem that I thought my team would capitalize on because we were uh, known for having these big third quarters. And also the Warriors are big for having the third quarters too. All right? And the Boston Celtics are just the worst when it comes to this. 14 points, 35 points in the in the, in the the third quarter, given up. I mean, where was the defense that we're talking about here? Where, where, where was it? Where was it? That was just absolutely obliterated, obliterated. Okay, that was it was insane. So I, I have to wonder exactly, right? Ime Udoka, the, he did an okay job with the adjustments because I said before uh, game two that I wanted to see more of a case of forcing the Warriors to score off the dribble because giving these guys practice shots is not the recipe for winning at all. It's not. I mean, having these guys... And a couple of times we saw in the game, too, that they did the same thing once again. There was one play that just infuriated me. I was so mad. I don't really care because it's the Celtics, but I was just so mad at how easy the look was. And we're calling this this play, we're calling Jamon Green an NBA fullback because of the way he was screening. First off, I think he screened uh, uh, some, some guard. I forget who it was. But then he screens Derek Wright, and then he screens... Al Horford. And instead of switching that play, instead of finding a way to get under the screen and force Steph Curry into driving into the paint and maybe you have a help defender, these guys are in no man's land. I mean, this drop-off coverage cannot continue to work. It just can't. I get it. You don't want to be beaten or burned off the dribble when you are guarding Steph Curry one-on-one or Steph, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole. You don't want to be burned. I get all of that. But it's better to have a a better contest in that situation than to have these guys have wide open practice shots when you're at least not getting a a good contest in. That's not good enough. That's not. You know, in the first half, I saw a couple of instances where, you know, for instance, Marcus Smart gets over the screen. He forces Steph Curry into dribbling. And we have a case of Robert Williams and Al Holford contesting. Tough shot. Tough shot. Al Horford contests. Um, he gets Steph Curry to uh, pump, pump pump fake, and then he gets a shot off. Rob Williams is right there for the contest. A tough shot. But that's what you want for 
a guy like Steph Curry to do, make him make that tough shot. He did make it. He's a great player. That's what he does. But for the whole defensive scheme, that's what you want him to do. But you can't give these guys practice shots again and again and again, dropping all, dropping all, dropping off. I mean, come on, man. Come on. It's not good enough at all. And Jordan Poole. What about Jordan Poole? Okay, going off in the third quarter, 17 points to finish off the game, 5 of 9 from 3. This guy says he has endless amount of range, which he does because, listen, guys, I know they were getting blown out at that point on, but you have to wonder how demoralizing it was to give up that deep three at the end of the third quarter. Jordan Poole dribbling, dribbling inside, you know, in and out, in and out, pop up three, bang. I know we're getting blown out at that point, but that is so demoralizing. It really is. So demoralizing, so disheartening to give up a three like that. You know? And the Warriors finished off the night uh, with 15 at 37, 40%. It's not bad at all. But, you know, once again, Boston didn't do that bad at the three-point line again. 15 at 37. They are actually shooting the three-point ball really well. I thought they would be a little bit below that, like around 35%. But, for what it's worth, they have shot the ball so far pretty good from three in the past two games. 50% in the first game, 40% in the second game. That's not bad at all. It's not. But what did I say before? You're not going to get games like this from Al Horford, from Derek White, from Marcus Smart consistently. And it's fine because any game is different, so you could possibly get it every other game. But to ask them to do that every game is not going to happen. And what happened? Marcus Smart, 0 for 3 from 3. Al Horford. Didn't take a three that whole entire game. He finished off the game with two points, one and four from the field. Derek White, four, uh, sorry, 12 points. We have two or four from three. That's not bad at all, at all. He's pretty consistent. He's pretty efficient, pretty consistent. But the point is, is that you need more, right? You need more from – you need to have consistently great games from JT and JB to win this series, which I don't think is going to happen because we have a case of already Jalen Brown struggling. 5 of 17 is not going to do it. Now, you won the first game, so it doesn't really matter too much. But now this team has momentum, the slightest momentum, and it kind of feels bad for the Celtics to hear Draymond Green say that we're going to be fine. I mean, that's not their game, pretty much saying. And then they go out and they blow them out in game two. That's not good at all. But what you want from this team is a response. You're going back home. You did your job. Okay, now you go back home to Boston, which I still hate, and you try to get a win over there. Now, I don't expect them to win both games maybe they could possibly get one but i am calling warriors for game three i am uh, early prediction i'm calling warriors for game three because i don't really see how they are not going to be able to sustain this kind of excellence now that they have woken up in my opinion and when you have guys like okay he, he struggled a lot clay thompson i i said before that i want him to have more shots taken i think he had what 14 shots he had 19 shots this game and he struggled a lot he was only four for 19, one for eight from three. But the fact that he's being aggressive keeps him a, a bit honest, even though he was missing a lot that game. Um, it still provides a little bit of some type of dangerous feel for the game. It's Clay Thompson at this point. You know, you really can't not keep tabs on him. But give credit to my guy, Gary Payton. Yes, welcome back, Gary Payton, the second. Seven points. Three or three did his job, okay? Because I just tell you guys this, man. Yes, he can't really defend anybody when it comes to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I get that. He's too small. But he is very, very, very athletic. That's one. 
And two, this guy works hard. He works hard, offensive rebounds. He's just usually in the right spot in the right time. And this guy has carved out a nice niche for himself, a nice spot a spot for himself on this team to be effective in the right times, in the right moments, okay? And he has done just that. Don't have to really stop Jason Tatum. You got to make it tough for him. That's about it. That's about it. Make it tough for him. Make sure he tries to get a tough shot up. And if he makes it, he makes it. I'm fine with that. Okay, I am fine with that. But when it comes to the Warriors and what they have to adjust upon, I, I don't understand. Um, sorry, not the Warriors, sorry, the, the Boston Celtics. One uh, Once again, did an okay job, a much better job of trying to stop the three-point line and trying to run these guys off the three. But now we have a second phase of that defensive possession, which is called the extra pass. Because now they have a case of, okay, you ran them off the three-point line. Now what? They're going to make that extra pass. And Boston, they were lost the entire game when it comes to defending that extra pass, watching out for cutters. And we had a lot of easy buckets. Jamon Green, Kavon Looney, Gary Payton, a lot of easy buckets. A lot of easy buckets. You can't do that. You can't do that. We know the Warriors offense. I mean, if you have been watching the Warriors offense for the past years or so, very, very complex. But uh, at least when you're watching it, it's a little bit simplified. But it's it's much more complex than it actually is. We just know that, right? We know that they're going to look for pin downs a lot with Jamon Green, with a lot of the guards that they, that they use to screen, Gary Payton, uh, Andrew Wiggins, a lot of these pin downs, right, to get guys like Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson open for threes. When they don't have that look, then it comes becomes a case of the extra pass. Pass with Jamon Green. Okay, he's going to look to see who's open on the cutter lane. Now it's a case of you guys watching out for the cutters. But in game two, we saw none of that. Because Boston was just, they were, they had a lot of mental lapses when it comes to looking for their cutters and finding their mans. Yes, because now as a defender, you have to step up because you have to play the ball. I get that. But we have to find a better job of stopping the cutters because that, that was a lot of easy buckets. A lot of easy buckets for the Warriors. And it ended up being in the paint, 40 points in the paint. A lot of easy buckets. 40 points compared to your 24. I mean, you can't win a game like that. You just can't. You just can't. For the Warriors, it comes a case of, you know, they are a good defensive team, but it becomes a case of trying to guard their guys, right? When it comes down to guarding Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and providing that help defense, we know that Tatum has become a better passer, so he's going to make the extra pass. He's going to be willing to make the extra pass as need be. And it comes down to guys like Derek White, Marcus Smart, or Peyton Pritchard, for that matter, Grant Williams making three-pointers, which they have been making it, uh, you know, so far at a consistent rate for the most part in the playoffs, but that's the main defensive adjustment and defensive mindset that the Warriors have to have going into games three, four, five, whatever. Guard your man first, guard the main threat, and then when he kicks it out, you have to get a good contestant. That's about it. That is about it. But Celtics did not shoot the ball well last night, 37%. That's not good enough, but it is what it is. You got game one. You're happy. Go back to Boston, find a way to get another game and then we're okay but the most part is that i love the way the warriors came back out to respond what you expected to happen okay and you just have to say will boston lay down and become that inferior team that we all saw them to be coming into the series because of this big blowout performance possibly not because you know it's happened in the past that they have gotten blown out gotten taken apart and they came back and had some great miraculous playoff performances from their star players so, once again, don't really expect to see 
guys like Jalen Brown struggle in game two. I mean, in game three, like I saw uh, Jason Tatum struggle in game one. You know, so it's not going to happen again for me. It may not happen, may or may not happen. But for the most part, it's a good response for the Warriors, a good team play overall. And it's a good way to get at least one game. Because if you go down to Boston, down 2-0, I mean, they, if, if there's any team that can do it, it's the Warriors. But if you go down to Boston, down 2-0, that's not a good look at all. And in the first quarter, in the first half, it looked like the Boston Celtics could steal the, another game. It looked like it. If I'm being honest, they were playing with a lot of energy, a lot of focus, maintaining that pace that we need to be as a road team to try and get another game. And it looked like the Warriors were kind of struggling to keep pace. But what happens? Third quarter. Third quarter. Two words. Third quarter. That's about what happens. Because the Boston Celtics could not find a way to maintain that same kind of energy and that that same focus when the second half starts. And when the Warriors, when they have the adjustments running for them and they make those adjustments and they find ways to get their shots falling, that's all the confidence that you need to really push on and become that threat going forward. And that's what happened. You know, it happened in game one too, but when we have a case of the Warriors not making buckets and shots in the fourth quarter and Boston just becoming this great three-point shooting team, becoming the Warriors as, as the Warriors are playing, becoming the Warriors themselves, then that's what happens when you lose game one. But you know, 20-point lead in third quarter, and you have some good performances by your other players, role players too. Bielitsa getting inside the game. Jordan Poole, I, I did mention before that I wanted to see him go off. He did go off. And you just had a good case of your guys doing your job. Now, let's see what happens for game three. Game, game, game three. I'm still going to call the Warriors to win game three, but we will see what happens with that aspect. All right, guys. Well, 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 well. What a great, 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 and I say great episode once again. All right. Yes, football is coming back in the form of mini camps, OTAs, training camp, all that good stuff. So we're just counting down to when that will start, but stay tuned for that. And also, by the way, I hope you guys loved and enjoyed the show for Game Breakers. Be sure to check out more uh, news and content regarding Game Breakers. It's your guy, Edwin, once again, just giving you guys the news and all that great stuff. Because you know me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to I'm do the job when it has to be done. Someone has to do it, and it has to be me. I'm him. I'm him. Just saying. Yo, tune in once again for Game Breakers. We'll be back once again. Uh, so the game is going to be on Wednesday for this. So, yeah, we'll give a little bit of another preview for that uh but hopefully we are now going back to our regular schedule for game breakers yes i know i'm sorry can't give you guys the more playoff coverage once again for all this great stuff that's happening but i mean now we get to have a regular a more stabilized environment for game breakers and the whole entire aspect of it so it, it gives me more time to at least plan and be more efficient because let me tell you guys man i was still able to do it because i'm just that guy but it was tough to record an episode every day we have all these things going around in my life. It's insane. But I love sports too much. I love sports. I eat sports. I drink sports. I sleep with sports. I dream about sports. So I really can't do it. I really can't not do it. Sorry. It's just my life. It's just my life. But anyways, enough of my spiel, guys. We'll be back once again. And tune in. Tune in, tune in, tune in. It's your boy Edwin, and I am out. Peace.